Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights here with Schrader Shaw, CEO of a company that's not in the industry, but he brings those executive instincts to his uh, collecting pursuits. And I think that's a, a fun thing to look at. I also do that. And we, we had more things in common than we thought. And so I thought it was going to be a little 15-minute interview, and it wound up going quite a bit over. So I've edited some of the uh, overtime session to bring it to you. So thanks, Schrader, for your fresh look at the hobby. Enjoyed our, our back and forth. Uh, and again, as I said, we shared a common background in the same organization that has chapters around the country. He's in the uh, Maryland, uh, D.C. area, and I'm here in Texas. But uh, we had a little bit of a shared experience in that, and we both love collecting. So thanks, Schrader. Thanks, listeners. Here it is. Thinking the other day, I was telling my wife, if I owned a sports team, I don't have little sections for kids or for fans before the game where they could stand. And I'd almost require the players to sign. And then you can have so many cool promos. And imagine this. If Jerry Jones said, hey, it's April. Nothing's going on with the NFL. We're going to have the Dallas Cowboys card show today and just open up Texas Stadium and have a bunch of tables. There's cool things they could do. Okay, but Jerry, Jerry's not the guy yeah. the, the, because he's an owner. It's the Players Association. That's why this fanatics deal is promising, right? Because right. the players' association are co-owners; they have some equity in the deal, no doubt. So they're likely to say, "Hey, we want to have something in every city to have a collector fest for each NFL, NBA, major league city." Yeah. Before the season, they sell some tickets. You, you know how fun that would be. Players, it would be. But we have a better chance with fanatics yeah, uh, you're right. in cahoots with the Players Association of making that happen. I remember as a kid, we'd go to the old Memorial Stadium here in Baltimore, and I'd just be you know, looking for Cal Ripken, following his every move, and, and just trying to get an autograph for the guy. Or Don Mattingly, and all the kids were pressed against the rails. Fanatics, they're sports guys, but they're commerce guys. It's not private equity they're going to get in and get out in three to five years. But they really expect to double this thing and double right. it again. And right. you can't double attendance at Major League Baseball or NFL, the stadiums, but you can double the interest and doubling the interest in card collecting. Uh, I hope they can do it. And they're going to have to do it with the idea you had for an April kind of thing. They've got to create more public consciousness about collecting being cool, a good connection point with the sport and the players. And so they must have ideas because they didn't get a bargain. They paid a price that indicates they have big plans and plans to increase the size of the market. And they can't just print more cards. They have to create more collectors. And to your point, you want scarcity too. You don't want everyone having... It has to be a collectible element too. Otherwise... Well, what's interesting, you just made me think... Of, so Fanatics is eventually going to go public, right? Yeah, yeah. And so the, the pressures on a public company to grow earnings per share is unbelievable. So the amount of growth they need to get... So to your point, they're going to have to raise demand to a level that's just a a velocity of cash running through these businesses. They have right. to increase the demand. And if right. they increase the supply without increasing the demand, we've got the junk wax here. They have to print not to the perceived demand, but the actual demand. And if they don't, they'll really mess it up. PSA was almost like a, a razor blade type model when they were public. But when you're selling that much product, if you go to an era where everyone just says, all of a sudden, this entire little cottage industry that's now a big industry says, we're not going to do this more. They got a real problem. And you can't turn that ship on a dime anymore. PSA could be in trouble if Fanatics says, we're going to do grading. 100%. And imagine three years from now, when they take over, you want a human to grade it? It's this price. You want an AI to grade? It's this price. And so on the holder, it says dot .ai or dot .h or something. Fanatics could pull that off because they're going to, like you said, there's not checks and balances. 
They're right. going to say, this is it. This is what we have. What Henry Ford said, you can have a Ford as Jane long as color. it's black. This is black. Let's <laughs> so, yeah. Fanatics, they're smart guys. They're enterprising. They must have plans already. And, because and the evaluations that they have just in their fundraising. Ridiculous. Is, is ridiculous. Yeah. This Josh's 50 page manifesto. It's a very well thought out piece. He's a collector. It's great. He's a collector and he's an enthusiast. And I think he's going to be a, a thought leader and, and very influential. So I, I, I like I, that you have two young, intelligent collectors with Nat and him. Absolutely. It's like Batman versus Superman. Like I said, I think Nat is really impressive, but it'd be hard to bet against fanatics. It'll be interesting. What a great business idea would be is to get a bunch of money and roll up a bunch of these card shops and you would have national distribution. Then you have access to the local market because it's all about local, right? It's like politics, all about local and in the community. And then you would have this vast amalgamation of inventory that if you wanted Ruben Sierra cards in, in Irving, Texas, but you're in Milwaukee and they want Paul Molitor. There's a lot of arbitrage. Yeah. Hard, to, hard to manage that. But basically, these, these private equity guys call me. And that was one of the ideas that we batted around. There's some management problems because you've got millions of SKUs. But that's a disruptive, low-hanging fruit. Be hard to execute, but that'd be exciting. You said it'd be the shop owners that's tough to wrangle. Yeah. yeah. They don't want a boss. They, they want right. the benefits. But anyway, these guys were thinking about buying something. And I said, if you buy something for a hundred million bucks, you're competing with everybody else that's going up market like that. Buy a hundred $1 million things or 10, $10 million thing. Yeah. And you've got a chance. And frankly, yeah. But. I was thinking that what's their play? They'd have to literally buy individual card shops and it would take buy cost of cards, buy this, buy the guy in Burbank, you know? You couldn't buy. Them. They don't want to sell. buy. No, but buying is not the way you'd, you'd have to license them. You'd have to right. have you know, a bulk purchasing organization, a PEO kinds of things. You, yeah, yeah. You could not own them, but they could be under your umbrella. They'd have yeah, the economy, a Chick-fil-A franchise. It right, right. doesn't cost very much to get the franchise, but you have to ascribe to how they say you're going to do it. And then you pay a percentage, but it's still your business. So something like a franchise would be what it would have to be because you just can't audit these card shops. Imagine the guys buying out a bulk collection from me and then having to report, would you get this one card? Come on, man. You want to get what you can for what the cards are and the rest is gravy. It's nice to have a card. I know, but I had two partners and they were really honest guys. And so we were very blessed, but that's the exception. And you're talking about not just the honor among partners, but having an absentee partner or a financial backer that's that's right. not in the same zip code. That's a guy flying in from New York to pick up his cut because uh, a lot of the card shops where they really make it is in their buys. In some case, that's the gravy. They've got uh, some good margin on some of the new products, but there's a lot of work selling singles and sorting cards. But if you buy right of collections, that's high. Yeah. That's high yeah, yeah, that's high margin stuff. It, it, it just and that, it, would, and that would not be put into the syndicate. I mean, enough people would say that's off book. Yeah. And you have to expect that. And so if they used me as a consultant, I'd say expect that. So work up the the rules of engagement to acknowledge that. And don't worry about it. Even if that happens, does the deal still work? You're a collector. You think long-term. How does that affect you as an investor in things non-cards? Is it the same temperament? Same mentality? I'm not a flipper. I'm not a flipper. You know, I mean, I'm not a quick flipper anyway. If you're truly a collector... Friction doesn't bother you. Yeah. Uh, but if you're an investor, you want to reduce the friction. So right. be an easy out, make it move on. I'm not in a hurry. So that's why I can look through a dollar box and pick out yeah. something that I yeah. think will eventually sell for a multiple of what I paid. Yeah. Eventually could be in five years. 
No, but I, I even met non-sports cars, like in your non-sports investments, your you know, private equity. I'm not risk averse, but I don't do a lot of private equity and stuff like that. So I'm boring in my investments. I, I've told my investment professionals that just switched is that yeah. they said, we're going to put you so much in equities and so much in fixed and then so yeah. many alternatives. I said, dude, I've got the alternatives already. Right. <laughs> I don't need you to do that. Look behind you. And oh, yeah, okay. So I just need, just do stuff that's not too illiquid. I already have illiquid stuff. Actually, not everything is illiquid. Cards are better than liquid when they're going up in value all the time. But some of the things would not be easy to sell. That's why I'm selling 1% a month. You said something that I thought would be very frustrating on one of the pods the other day. You said, boy, you put something up, I think on PWCC and there was one bidder and they didn't, the yeah. world didn't realize what, how tough it would a jewel this one right. thing is, but it must be frustrating because that is worth yeah. how tough it is. Well, it wasn't thousands of dollars, but it was worth hundreds of dollars and it went for dozens of dollars. Right, which is you know, crazy. And, and what was it? Also, I'm curious. It wasn't a huge thing, but it was a test. What was the piece? I'm curious. I'm going to say, actually, it was more than one thing that did that. Okay, I, forget. I, for everyone that went below and was just gnashing my teeth and thinking, I wish I could, with my conscience, be a shill bidder or get my wife to bid. There's all right. kinds of tricks you can do. So right, I'm right. going to do that. I want to see what it goes for. But yeah. Last day, and I'm thinking, do not, people not realize? But for every one of those, there was one that was going for double what I thought it would go for. Oh, that's, I mean, that's, actually, out. that's my point. It evened out. I, I, I love Huggins and Scott. They're my local in Silver yeah, Spring. Here. Guys. Yeah. I've known you know, for a long time. Yeah. They're just, I don't know him, but I knew his son, Ricky, when he was part of business right, and, right. and super nice people and honest as, as all can be, they just come to my office. I'm like, Hey, I got a bunch of, I got a bunch of cellos and or, let's do something here. You, you know, know I, had, uh, I had Bill and Ricky on one of my father's day episodes father-son episode. How did you ever meet Bill? Because he's in Maryland. He's been there forever. But I, I traveled the country. I've been around before he was there. I'm older. Yeah. Now, but I played golf with him in Hawaii a bunch. I've had dinner with him at the Nationals. He's a good guy. Good yeah, guy. His son is, they're just good people, man. When he said this thing called YPO, I'm like, now it all makes sense. Because some of the things you talk about talent and organizations and scaling and private equity, I'm like, this is not a regular entree. It was interesting. Now, I went to Harvard for 14 years for the the Harvard uh, YPO program. And plus I, I'm a smart guy and I've been on some private company boards, but I'm not a public company guy. Like what you said about fanatics, when they go public, they better have their act together because that could mess things up. I'd rather have them be private. Oh, no doubt. Cause they I, can think 50 years out. I know, but, and they don't need the money. Their valuation is so high. Right, they right. don't need the money and, and they're going to have a cash cow, a machine. Yeah. yeah. That, and yeah, and Nat Turner's figured that out. I, Nat Turner is, yeah. you know, not, a, I, I think some of the Fanatics guys, uh, Ruben, a little more predatory, I think. A hundred percent. Nat Turner was, I had a nice chat with him. I think he's a very bright guy and he's a good business person, but I don't think he's trying to conquer the world. No, I think Nat's like you and I, good hearted, wants what's great for the hobby. Again, when I use that term like Darth Vader and the Evil Empire for fanatics. Okay, we'll see. No, well, Jim, thank you very much. Thank this is awesome. Good, a good conversation. If YPO was only business, it, it wouldn't be such right. a great organization. It's about education, but it's business, personal, and family. The man that-